We are in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is being recorded for our October 6 time slot in our continued studies of what God sent through Paul to Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we are privileged to have this opportunity. I hope we never just take it for granted that we can come together in the best way we can and open the greatest book ever written to refresh our knowledge, to enrich our motivation, to serve God, and be well equipped to serve each other. This time, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. I'll review the context, and then we'll continue at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Here's what I'd like to do for the sake of context. I'd like to read in 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 1, and reading down through verse 10, and that will supply the context for our study. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now we continue at verse 6, and this is where our study is located, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. One thing here we know to be true, there are some who imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 5, in the time of Paul and Timothy, there were men who could be called religious charlatans. They were imposters, not really devoted to truth and without any passion to love people and save people from sin. So they taught doctrines pleasing to the ear. But as verse 3 says, teachings that did not accord with godliness. These men, these charlatans, 
imagined that godliness was a means of gain. They wanted something, attention, praise, a following, or a gain of some material advantage. Listen again to what Paul describes in verses 3 through 5. Listen for attitude and action. They were puffed up with conceit and understood nothing. Unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We're learning here in 1 Timothy 6 about men who are devoted to themselves, their own selfish gain, and they will do us no good spiritually. Well, in this discussion, the subject emerges of gain, and that brings us to where we are in this study. Gain, in this context, is that which one perceives will bring personal benefit. It may be monetary, it may be an ambition for attention and praise, it may be control of people. Your heart will produce your definition and pursuit of gain. All that leads to what Paul affirms the truth about gain is. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. The highest and purest gain I can have is the gain I receive from God through serving him through living a godly life. With that, I should be content. Now, that's what we're going to explore for a few minutes now. The highest and purest gain I can have, and that you can have, is the gain of being a godly person. With that gain, we should be content, at peace, joyful, assured. The term godliness simply means, I think this is the simplest definition, toward God. If you are a godly person, your heart and your life is toward God. The direction of your thoughts and your plans and your daily choices and your life is toward God. If you are living that way, no matter if not many people know you or not much money comes your way, you have the highest and purest gain a human being can have. So, against the contrast of the charlatans who would preach anything for what they perceive to be some personal gain, here is the godly person, the person who lives toward God, enjoys the highest and purest gain a human being can have. There is no money that is any better. There is no celebrity status that tops this. There just isn't anything better, higher, or purer than being godly, being content with that way of life. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Here's why the affirmation of verse 6 holds true. We're now at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You leave with exactly 
what you had when you arrived. When you were born, you had nothing, not even pockets. When you leave, your body may be well-dressed, but even if there is something in the pockets, you won't be able to do anything with it. Similar to this, you may recall what Job said in Job 121, echoed in Ecclesiastes 5, 14 and 15. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Now, follow this. If this is reality, if you can't take any worldly gain with you, you had better invest in spiritual gain that you can take with you. That's godliness. Living your life toward God through Jesus Christ by the daily discipline of active faith. The truly godly person is the one with genuine, lasting peace and assurance of salvation, no matter if he is rich or poor, well-known or unknown. I want to add in this passage, contentment is the opposite of greed. The greedy person is never content, but always in a state of anxiety and impulse and drive to get more attention or more money or more control. There's no peace or satisfaction for the greedy. The godly person, on the other hand, has exactly what they need in the long run. If the godly person never steps up any higher in the material or social world, he or she is okay. They have life with God through Christ with the resulting contentment. So what we're talking about here is rich, practical instruction for good thinking and good living here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm at verse 8. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, this doesn't say it's wrong to have more than food and clothing. This says, at this level, the godly person is content with all the joy and assurance of salvation necessary for peace, even if no other assets are acquired. Here's one way to look at this. If you are a godly person with sufficient food and clothing, if good things happen and you put money in the bank and build a house and have a couple of good cars, etc., that isn't necessarily wrong, but it doesn't enhance your spiritual contentment. It doesn't bring you closer to God. It doesn't make you a better disciple. The person with a good God-directed life requires no more for contentment than a good relationship with God. You may have more than the minimum, but with abundance, that abundance doesn't provide more spiritual contentment. Jesus himself called disciples to be free from the anxiety over food and clothing and to rest in God by seeking his kingdom first. That's in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I'm arriving now in 1 Timothy 6 at verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I want to point out about this that the real spiritual killer here is desire and love for money. Paul does not say there is a certain amount of money and once you have that much, you're spiritually dead. No. Paul doesn't say once you have more than other people at that point, you're guilty. No, there's nothing like that here. The spiritual killer here is desire and love for money. The point is not that money in and of itself causes you to wander away from the faith. The verse doesn't read that way. It is the desire and love for money. That's the problem identified. Three phrases make this clear. Those who desire to be rich, the love of money, through this craving. So it is conceivable and more than hypothetical, people who live in relative poverty can be guilty of this craving this love, this desire that ruins relationship with God. Let me ask you this. We're going to explore this a few more minutes. Is it possible for a poor person to crave riches and suffer the loss of God because of that craving? And the answer is yes. I have another question. Is it possible for a middle-income person to crave riches and love money, and therefore be lost? The answer is yes. Third question, is it possible for a rich person to be so greedy and obsessed with success they wander away from the faith? Yes. So here's what we've done. We have included everyone in the warning of 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 11. I have some wrap-ups I want to go through with you. Just take a few minutes. This passage reminds us that human contact with the material world and economy begins at birth and ends at death. We need to get used to the word temporary or maybe sojourners. God allows us to have some things while he retains his ownership. So we are stewards of what God owns for a little while. What matters when you die is godliness. Number two, we must not let the devil tempt us and pull us into class warfare or what might be called impulsive economic criticism. Here's what I mean. If I criticize everybody who has more than what I have, and I also criticize everybody who has less than I have, I might as well wear a sign that says, I am immature and arrogant and ignorant of what the Bible says. There will also always be people who have more than what we have and less than what we have. That doesn't mean much. Remember, Paul does not ever condemn someone for 
not having as much as others or having more than others. If the focus in the Bible is not on amount or economic level, my focus should not be there. It is more about love and desire for money and obsession with material things. One of the deadliest mixtures in human existence is religion and money. It is a murky mixture that results in poison when men preach and build religious empires for their own gain. Right here, we are not talking about the laborer being worthy of his hire. That came up recently back in chapter 5, verse 18. We're talking now about men and women using interest in religion to receive inordinate and extravagant advantage. Several prominent TV evangelists have led the way in demonstrating just how bad this can be. There are religious businesses, there are denominational organizations and churches that have taken advantage of people's interest in religion, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Preachers need a place to live, but they don't need three compounds and a jet. Preachers need transportation, but not a limousine. Money has to be paid and money has to be spent, but extravagance and personal enrichment can take people along that path that leads to ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Thank you for being with us.